That is the good news of Christmas. I don't know about you, but the last going on two years now, I have sort of been in a search almost on a daily basis for good news. Uh, every time you turn around, this virus seems to mutate and take a, you know, another. We have Delta, now we've got Omicron, and who knows what's coming next. And so we just sort of seems to be constantly in the process of trying to find some good news. Well, <clears throat> when the shepherds heard the message from the angel, they were told that there was good news that was being announced to them. But why is it good news? We talk about it being such good news. But why is it good news? If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. We're going to look today at why it is good news and why it is good news that carries us every day of 2022 that is out in front of us like it has carried us in these last years. The good news that Jesus has come. Now, this account The context of this account in Luke's Gospel chapter 2 is so very important because it helps us to understand why the angels said to those shepherds, it is good news. Those shepherds lived in the context of the Roman Empire ruling the world of its day, and particularly for the Jewish people of which these shepherds would have been connected, they were living under Roman domination and had been for some time. And it seemed like God had vacated Judaism and literally planet earth. No one had heard a message from God. There had been no prophet in 400 years. It's referred to as the 400 silent years. And so it seemed like God had vacated the planet. And people really weren't expecting anything from God. There was look and anticipation of a Messiah But they were looking for a political Messiah who would overthrow Rome. And nothing like that seemed to be on the horizon whatsoever. And we in a way can identify with these folks. Because how many times do we feel like, if we're really honest in life, God has vacated us. God has vacated the situation. We find ourselves looking in vain sometimes in life wondering, where is the Lord? What is He up to? And what is He trying to accomplish? And so that's the position that these shepherds were in. Now, these shepherds probably, we think, were a special kind of shepherd in the sense that they were located six miles from the city of Jerusalem. And the shepherds that were located within a certain perimeter of Jerusalem had a specific duty, and that is that they were to raise sheep that were to be used in the sacrificial system that was followed through in Jerusalem. So they would have a direct linkage to the temple and to the carryings on of the temple there. The rest of the shepherds in Israel had to be much farther away from Jerusalem. So they were directly connected to what was going on. I want you to hold that in your mind because they're out there doing their temple duty. They are fulfilling the responsibilities that were placed upon them by the temple. And in that regard, they were serving the Lord, although they probably felt like, where is God in the midst of us just sitting out here in this hillside going about what we're supposed to be going about? Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, and we're going to begin with verse 8. And in the same region, and that again was in the region around Bethlehem, about six miles south of Jerusalem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, And they were filled with great fear. In other words, they were awestruck. And the angel said to them, 
Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger or a feed trough. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin, Rocky Mount Connection. And I invite you, if you will, to follow along with me as we move through this together. And for those of you that have heard this story over and over and over again, and it becomes sometimes repetitive to us, I want to encourage you to just... Join me as we look at some maybe new insights as to how this story unfolds. First of all, why is it good news? Because it's good news for everybody. It is good news for everybody. These shepherds were not, of course, religious leaders in their day. They were just common, ordinary folks going about a common, ordinary job. Shepherding, along with fishing and carpentry, were the three major enterprises and ways people had employment in the ancient world at that time. And so these shepherds are just going about what they're doing. They are not necessarily people who have been schooled in issues of theology and, and knowing the Bible as we know it, the Old Testament well. They were just <clears throat> out there taking care of their sheep at night. Now, as I said to you earlier, these guys, we think, were probably raising sheep that would have been used in the service of the temple. There was a Jewish rule in those days that their sheep were only allowed to be raised but so close to Jerusalem, and only the sheep that were in within a certain area of Jerusalem were to be used for the temple sacrifices. All the other sheep and shepherds had to be much farther away from the city. So these shepherds would have had the specific duty of raising sheep to be used for the temple sacrifices. Now the reason I want to bring that point out is they were serving the Lord. They were doing what they did best as shepherds, raising sheep, and God came to them at that place, etc. And the significance of that, I think, is simply this. Sometimes when we're serving the Lord, we feel like it's boring, it becomes very mundane, we wonder where God is, etc. But God always sees you when you're doing His work. God always takes notice when you're about following Him, and the Lord will show up when you least expect it. He will speak His good news into your life, and He will let you know that He's not forgotten you, and that He's going to take you and He's going to use you. Where we tend to give up in life and in our walk with the Lord is when we feel like God has given up on us, and God has vacated the scene. But if you're where God's called you, doing what God's called you to do, God has not vacated you. God has not given up on you. God has not walked away from you. God is most in the game 
when often he seems like he is invisible. It says they're keeping their sheep there at night. They're going about that mundane work of taking care of sheep. Similar to a sailor working on a ship, a mechanic working at his uh, cars, a teacher teaching, whatever you do, God loves to interrupt and show up in places in life where we are simply doing the average, ordinary things that we do every day. And that's where God showed up in their lives. You see, the biggest thing that we sometimes struggle with with God is that we underestimate Him. We do not look and live in anticipation of what the Lord is going to do. Instead of getting up every day and saying, Lord, I'm going to live in anticipation of what you're going to do. I'm not going to underestimate your ability to show up, to interrupt, and to work in life. Notice it says that they were living and working out in the fields. God met them where they were. And the whole ministry of Jesus is Jesus walking to people and meeting them where they are in life. Later, it was the disciples down by the seashore. I mean, the the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all the stories of Jesus walking into people's lives where they are. We tend, if we're not careful, to lock him up in certain places like a church sanctuary. But Jesus makes it a habit of walking into where we are in life. I like to call it the divine geography of God's love. The divine geography of God's love. He loves to meet you and I where we are in life. And in this particular case, it was out in the fields. You see, it's not the place of where we are. It's the God who shows up in the place where we are. It's not the place we are. It's God who shows up in the place where we are. And how can He show up in our lives? He has been showing up for the last year and a half in this pandemic in ways maybe we didn't anticipate that God could ever show up. But He's been showing up. He shows up in our loss. He shows up in our fatigue to give us the energy, His energy, to move forward. He shows up in our frustration. And He shows up, yes, in our victories to remind us of who enabled us to have the victory in the first place. So it's good news for everyone. Second, it is good news of the glory of God. Now notice what it says in verse 9. It talks about how the glory of God appeared around them. When it speaks here of the angel that appeared to them and the glory surrounding them, it's something very interesting contained in this. Verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And then it says, The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, notice the first part of that verse, An angel of the Lord appeared to them. When we see representations of the angel and the angels appearing to the shepherds. It's always with the angels way up in the sky. All of the Christmas cards you see, everything else, the angels are always up there in the sky. However, the verb there translated appeared to them 
in the original Greek language is not the idea of something up in the sky. It is rather the idea of an angel standing eye to eye and face to face with them. And so it really is the idea that when the angel appeared to them, he was not up in the sky. The angel was literally standing eye level with them. Just like one human being to another human being, and this angel begins to speak to them. Probably part of the reason they were so scared is because, you know, when you're eye to eye and face to face with an angel, that's really a little bit more intimidating than the angel is way up in the sky. And so they're standing there in front of that angel, and the angel is talking with them and speaking with them and telling them what is happening. And then it says, the glory of the Lord shines and envelops and and encloses all around them. They are literally baptized in the glory of God. Now, this concept of the glory of God speaks of the majesty of God, the power of God. And it's interesting that God comes to them and reveals himself first to them in his glory, in his majesty, and in his power. God is trying to say to them, I'm not a weak God with a puny love for you. I am a powerful, majestic God with an awesome, eternal love for you. You see, reason that I believe the Lord spoke to them that way, and what God is trying to say to us is, I love you with a strong, eternal, majestic love, and I love you as a powerful God. I do not love you as some weak God with some puny love. When I was a kid growing up, we used to go to the, the beach every year down at Naxhead, North Carolina, and I used to always look forward to that. Uh, but we also went to a pool uh, there, I grew up in Richmond, and we had this granite pool that we used to go to all during the summer. And I uh, loved to play in the pool, and then in Richmond, you got the James River. And then once a year, we'd go down to the ocean. I mean, when I walked up in front of the ocean, it's a whole different ball game than a pool. It is a whole different ball game than a river. You got tides, you got waves, you got the power of the ocean, and all you got to do is step into the ocean for literally seconds, and you realize you're in an entirely different situation, entirely different body of water than a pool or a river or a lake. I remember one year we went down there, we spent a week, and we came back, and my dad took me on Sunday afternoon after we'd gotten back from Naxit to the pool, and I walked out there, and I got in the pool, and he could read the disappointment on my face, and he smiled, and he said, it's a whole different thing than the ocean, isn't it? Let me tell you what I'm trying to drive out here. God's love, the presence of God, the love of God, the presence of God in our lives, the work of the Lord in our lives is not a pool. It is not a creek. It is not a river. It is not a lake. It is an ocean. It is an ocean. It is powerful. It is vast. It's got its tides and its pools. And when we think and we treat the love of God like it's a river or a lake or a pool or even a bathtub, we're going to vastly underestimate the power and glory of the love of God. When we realize that He loves us with the power of an ocean and He works in our lives like the power of the ocean, it is an entirely different understanding and engagement of the love of God. In verse 9, it says that they were terrified or they were filled with fear. They were overwhelmed and they realized in that moment that they could not control Him. He was totally in control. It says that they were terrified and they were overwhelmed. It's okay to be overwhelmed by God. We need to be overwhelmed by God. 
Lord knows we get overwhelmed by everything else in life. If we would get overwhelmed by Him, we wouldn't get overwhelmed by everything else because we'd realize that He's greater than everything else that's overwhelming us. But when we are overwhelmed by Him, then we realize that nothing else can overwhelm Him because He's overwhelmed everything else. I spoke this morning about it, celebrating the resurrection. The resurrection is God's way of saying God overwhelmed death. Jesus overwhelmed sin. Jesus overwhelmed everything that could have been overwhelmed. And that's how he walked out of the grave victorious. They were overwhelmed. They were terrified. It's okay to be overwhelmed by God. It's even okay on occasions to be terrified by God because that breeds respect in us for him. You know, The things and the people in life that we respect the most, we tend to listen to the best. And the more we respect God, the more we will listen to Him and move with what He is saying and doing. When they were terrified, when they were afraid in that moment, they really began to listen to the Lord and then they moved with what God was doing. And God at times wants to step into our lives and overwhelm us. And even that can be scary because He's trying to say, you really need to respect me and listen to what I am trying to speak into your life. Now notice their message that they are given by the angel in verse 11. It says, first of all, that unto you a Savior has been born. The word Savior at that time was a word. The two words that he uses here, the angel uses here, Savior and Lord, both of those titles were used at that time exclusively for the Roman emperor. The Roman emperor Caesar was referred to as Savior and Lord. When the early Christians picked up these two titles, Savior and Lord, they knew exactly what they were doing. Because when they said Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord, it was a direct affront to the Roman emperor. That's the reason they got in so much trouble. That's the reason so many of them were jailed and martyred. Because they said Jesus is our Savior, not Caesar. Jesus is our Savior and Lord, not the Roman emperor. And so... He is directly, the angel is directly taking the language of the emperor and he is using it. And by so doing, what this angel is saying to them is this. Jesus is greater than Caesar. And Jesus has no one any greater than him, including the Roman emperor. Because for them, the emperor of Rome would have been considered the Savior, the Lord, the greatest one they could have known. And he's saying there's none greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason he's Savior. That's the reason he is Lord. We're going to take Caesar's titles, the greatest titles that you guys are, you know, and we're going to apply them exclusively to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the term Savior means deliverer. And Jesus is announced here as a Savior because he is a deliverer and because we need deliverance. And Jesus took on a body like you and I because he is the all-sufficient deliverer. Now, why do we need a deliverer? Because we got a sin problem, which means we got a guilt problem, which means we got the results of the sin and the guilt problem. And the results of the sin and the guilt problem is separation from God. And that separation from God because of our sin and our guilt means that God's requirements have to be met. His requirements of having to judge sin, his requirements of sin having to be condemned, his requirements of punishment having to be exacted because of our sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to meet all those requirements. He is Savior, first of all, because number one, he stood in our place. On the cross, 
He took our place. Second, he turned away the wrath of God from us. Let me explain it this way. When God looks upon sin, he is repulsed by it. His whole being, because it is absolute and pure righteousness, has to respond to it. It's called the wrath of God. He is repulsed by our sin. He is allergic to our sin. He has to turn from our sin. He has to go in the opposite direction of our sin. This is the best illustration I can give, and it's sort of a stupid, crazy illustration, but just bear with me. Years ago, when I had my first home, and I was such a great homeowner, I had this bag of, of um, dog food that somebody gave me. Excuse me, cat food. I had this cat, and I picked the cat food, and for some dumb reason, I put it in the basement and stuck it up against the wall and forgot about it. And this went on for like two or three years, it sat over there. Well, unbeknownst to me, uh, flies got into it. And you know what happens when flies get into stuff. They like to uh, have larvae. And I began to notice after a while that the basement was beginning to smell funny. And I couldn't understand why the basement was smelling funny. And then the den next to the basement began to smell funny. So I decided that I needed, after a while, I needed to go and investigate where the smell was coming from. So I traced it into the basement, and then I traced it to this corner where I put this uh, cat food. And when I opened the cat food, uh, it was filled with worms, and I mean, I mean, you talk about it, it was nasty. Hope you all didn't have a lot of breakfast this morning. And I literally began to gag, it smelled so bad. So the first thing I did was I got the mess as best if I could, sucked in air so I wouldn't have to breathe, went out in the backyard and threw it back into this creek in the backyard of the house so that I wouldn't have to smell it anymore, see it. I mean, I just could not handle it because my response to it was totally one of, man, I can't tolerate this in my presence and in the house. i got to get rid of this stuff. That is a picture of the way God has to respond to our sin. His whole system responds to that, our sin by saying, I cannot tolerate this in my presence. It's called the wrath of God. And what Jesus did on the cross for us is that he turned away the wrath of God from us because he took it on himself. He took the wrath of God so that we would not have to. He bore our sin. The Bible says that he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be accepted by him. He satisfied God's requirements, and he met the greatest need in our lives. Our greatest need is to be reconciled to God, to be able to be in our close, growing relationship with the Lord. And Jesus on the cross made that possible. That's why he is the deliverer. Now, what we got to be careful about is false saviors in our culture today. Because false saviors teach us this, that we have a false deliverance that we need. That we need to be delivered from being unpopular to being popular. That we need to be delivered from being poor to being rich. That we need to be delivered from not having attention to getting all the attention in the world. That we need to be delivered from not having what we want to a total focus on ourselves. It's called drama, many cases, where we try to get the eye on ourselves. Those are the false saviors out there that tell us we need a false deliverance. The deliverance we need is from ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. The deliverance we need is from the wrath of God we deserve to His acceptance and love by looking unto the Lord Jesus. Now, what is the good news? It says that... He is the Savior, He is the Deliverer, and then notice how it describes Him. He is Christ the Lord. 
The idea is that he is anointed. Jesus is empowered by God. He is going to be empowered by God to serve in three major capacities. I've got these in your notes. I'd love for you to write them down. If you wrap your heart and your mind around Jesus functioning in these three ways, you will go a long, long, long ways to understanding how Jesus works in our lives. First of all, he was anointed as Christ the Lord. First place Jesus serves as is his prophet. Now, the prophet in the Old Testament had this responsibility. He was to bring God's message to the people. And the prophet brought God's message in three ways. Number one, he taught God's message to the people. Number two, he predicted what God was going to do. And number three, he worked miracles. So the prophet in the Old Testament context taught the message of God, predicted the message of God, and performed miracles. Jesus does and did all three. But follow me on this. Jesus did not just teach the message of God. He doesn't just relay God's message. Jesus is God's message to us. He is the message of God to us. And when we look not only at His words, but at His actions, at His life, at His heartbeat, we are seeing and hearing the message of God. If we want to understand God, we have only to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, He did that by teaching, by living, by touching by healing, by raising the dead. He does that every day in the way He works in our lives as God's prophet. He predicts what's going to happen, and He is a miracle worker in what He does and how He does it. Oh, follow me on this. Jesus will spend eternity revealing the Father God to us because the Father God takes eternity to reveal. He is so great and awesome. Heaven is going to be primarily about the Father being revealed to us through the Son for eternity. And our response is worshiping Him. Because that's how great God is. He's the prophet. Second, in the Old Testament, there was the role, the place of the priest. The priest's job was to connect people to God. The prophet brought the message. The priest connected people to God. And the priest's job was to transact with God on a person's behalf. In other words, the priest in the Old Testament system would go into the presence of God and they would represent the people before God. And there before God, they would connect God to the people. And they did that in two ways. They did that, number one, by offering sacrifices. So constantly you see the priest bringing and offering a sacrifice to God on behalf of the people, on behalf of their sin to connect them with God. The second thing that the priest would do is that they would intercede in the presence of God on behalf of the people. In other words, they would take the people's needs, their problems, heartaches, sin, the whole bit, and they would stand in between God and the people, and they would begin to pray on behalf of the people. And they again were forming that connection between God and the people. How about Jesus? He is our great high priest. How is he our great high priest? Two key ways. Number one, he presented a sacrifice before God to connect us to God, and that sacrifice was his death on the cross. 
Jesus presented himself as both priest and sacrifice. So when Jesus stood in the presence of God as our priest, he said, this is the sacrifice of my body and my life and my blood on on behalf of us, on behalf of our sin. Second, he makes intercession for us. He stands in the presence of the Lord and he prays for us and he prays on our behalf and he opens the door and he opens the way for you and I to be in the presence of God and to talk to the Lord and to pray. He makes intercession for us. I don't have time to elaborate it this morning, but I can't stress it enough, folks. You and I are not alone when we pray. Jesus is interceding for us. He is praying for us. He strengthens our prayers. He takes them into the presence of God. Yes, we are weak and inadequate prayers, but we pray with and alongside of and in the wake of the Son of God, who's the greatest intercessor in prayer there's ever been. So when you and I pray, don't feel like you're praying alone. We're praying in alignment with His intercession. He's opened the door. He's made the way. We go in His name. He is our intercessor. Finally, prophet, priest, third, is king. Jesus rules, and He rules as the Lamb of God. He is often most at work when He seems invisible. He rules as the king, and He will rule to completion. In other words, he will rule till he has fully completed his rule, which is for eternity. Which means as we relate to him, we have to relate to him as our king. As the one who rules us. Now follow this. I talked about him being prophet. I talked about him being priest. Now I've talked about him being king. The only way that I really am able to encounter and tap into him being prophet, bringing his message to me. And the only way that I can know and understand him as priest, interceding on my behalf, is if he's my king. We miss his prophetic ministry. We miss his message if he's not our king. We miss him as priest, connecting us to God, If he's not our king. Notice what the shepherds did. It says that they went and said, we got to see what God's doing. It became good news to them when they went and they saw what God was doing. And it becomes good news to us when we go and we see what he's doing. As our prophet, our priest, and our king. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you've come to us as prophet and priest and king. Jesus, we honor you, we bless you, and we praise you this day. And Lord, thank you for the good news of Jesus. And Lord, help us not to miss that good news, but to realize how much we need you is our deliverer just a moment we're going to sing and I just invite you to worship him this morning as we sing and for those that are joining us through the internet I invite you as you listen if you haven't given your life to him to say yes I want to if you're here and you haven't given your life to him say Jesus I want to give my life to you I want to know you as my deliverer as my savior I invite you to come we'd love to pray with you about making the most important decision
you can make in life. Let's sing and let's worship Him as our Savior and our Lord.